This podcast contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is season 10, episode 4 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This happened over five years ago, when I was between the ages of 15 and 18. I grew up in a pretty good-sized town. High school grades had always been between 800 and 1,000 students. The town was about 45 minutes to an hour away from the second largest city in the state, which is known for having three rivers and many bridges. I have two older brothers, which makes me the youngest of three boys. Our mother was the general manager at our grandpa's golf course. By no means were we well off in any way, but we were also very far from poor. Our father was a state police. He was a lieutenant at the time that everything happened. Our cop dad was hard on my brothers and me when we needed it, but we learned always to be respectful no matter what unless extreme situations call for something different. I will say that due to a very dark history, I've never had a close relationship with my brothers or parents. My dad and I only had one thing in common. We'd protect the ones that we love at all costs, even if it means our lives. When I was 15, I went to the downtown area of our town to get food and ice cream with a friend at a place about half a mile from the high school football stadium. Being that we were only 15 years old, going into our 10th grade year of high school and almost 16, we rode our bikes there to meet up. After eating, my friends and I went back outside to leave and go do something else. That's when I realized that my bike was missing. As soon as the group and I searched the immediate area, I called my dad knowing that he was home from work. He flew down there where I was. My friend and I figured he would be pissed at us, but he wasn't at all. Then all of my friends got on their bikes to go in different directions toward their homes while continuing to look for my missing bike. As my dad and I were driving towards the part of town that we lived in, we saw a group of three people, two males and one female, walking down the street towards the street that we were on, about a mile and a half from the restaurant. The group was pushing my bike along with them as they walked, causing me to snap to attention. I loudly said, They have my bike! My dad stopped immediately and put the car in park in the middle of the street. We jumped out of the car, and I laughed internally due to seeing my dad go from normal to cop dad in a matter of seconds. My dad had the girl and one of the guys stand and face the wall. Then, he slammed the guy who had my bike on the ground. I grabbed my bike and put it in the bed of the truck. Since there were only two of us against the three of them, my dad instructed, get in the truck so they don't see your face. I didn't listen, and I even said, fuck that. It wasn't until years later that I came to regret that. A short while later, the cops came and arrested all three of them. Fast forward to two and a half years later. I was 18 years old and home from my freshman year of college, which was spent at a military college clear across the state from home. Little did I know, the stuff that I learned during my time at the military college would soon help me out. One night, I was out jogging at around 6 in the evening. I was jogging on the sidewalk next to the road when a car flew past me and sat at the stop sign until I passed them. Luckily, I was close to home and memorized the car's details to the best of my ability. The vehicle continued to drive as I walked into the house. The car went a lot slower as they were passing, though. 
I didn't think anything was wrong with the situation. I just thought that the driver caught themselves driving really fast and slowed down upon realizing that someone was out jogging. A week later, I had just finished another jog. I walked into the house through the front door, which led right into the kitchen. The kitchen has this big window that looks out over the driveway, the front yard, the street, and the stop sign on the corner. As soon as I walked to the sink by the window to splash some cold water on my face, I heard a loud boom from outside. It sounded like an M80 exploding. I glanced outside and saw a car. Then there was a second of silence followed by three loud booms in quick succession. Thanks to being a hunter, I knew that this was gunfire. I dropped down and crawled to the door. I grabbed a baseball bat and ran out the door even though I knew that a bat had zero chance of winning against a firearm. I was hoping that I would surprise the driver who opened fire, but when I got outside, the car was driving away. I recognized the vehicle from the week prior. It was the same vehicle that sat at the stop sign when I was jogging. Thankfully, no one else was home then. Who knows where they would have been standing inside that house when those shots were going off. After the police came and I had given my statement, we waited. The town was big for a town, but it was also small enough that a lot of people knew each other. The town's police and my brothers all joked with me and asked if I was crazy since I ran outside towards the sound of gunfire without a gun. Two or three days passed when I received a call from the cops saying that they had caught the guy who shot at the house. It turns out, this was the same guy that stole my bike two and a half years earlier. After finding that out, my dad and I looked at each other without saying anything. We didn't tell my mom about it being the same guy. He had seen me finish up my jog. Luckily, by chance, I walked into the house before he started shooting. The guy received a sentence for attempted murder with a weapon. He was also charged with attempted assault, but... Due to not a single person being injured in any way, no assault charges were filed against him. We all went on with our lives, and I became an EMT during college. I worked on weekends while I finished school. When I was 26, I stopped by my parents' house when I was in the area. I walked into their kitchen, and the town's newspaper was on the table. The front page read something along the lines of local woman missing, vehicle found abandoned and burned. As I started reading the article, I nearly ripped the kitchen table off the frame with rage. The article said that the missing woman's boyfriend was the same guy who stole the bike and shot at my parents' house as I was standing by the front window. He wasn't arrested or charged with any crime relating to the missing woman. I left my parents' house, and I went back to my apartment, which was an hour away. I made sure that I was always carrying a pistol except for when I was working in the ambulance. Even through all the rage, I was feeling somewhat paranoid thoughts that the guy was maybe following me, even though that seemed unlikely. My parents left their house for a week to stay at my grandpa's. It was empty since he was living at the golf course, and life went on from there. I still work as an EMT in the second biggest city in my state. The guy who shot at my parents' house is currently in prison for charges of crimes not relating to the murder of that lady in my hometown. Back in 2013, I was a freshman in college. I grew up in a small, rural bay town with many crabbing boats and farms. My college was in the heart of a busy city, so I was very out of my element. This happened on the third week of my first semester. I knew no one there, so I was ready to jump at opportunities to make friends. So when this girl on my dorm floor texted and asked if I wanted to meet downtown at a show, I was more than ready to go. She told me which bus to take to get there and I figured that I could find my way on my phone if I got lost. Coming from my rural town, 
There were no public buses, so I had no idea how to navigate using them. I googled which stop to wait at and went on my way. I had no problem catching a bus and I seated myself near the driver just in case. However, the longer I rode on the bus, the more I realized it was taking me into a very bad area. Just as we were pulling into a particularly seedy area, the bus stopped and the driver announced that everybody had to get off. I felt my stomach drop down to my shoes. This bus was supposed to take me all the way downtown. Why was it stopping here? I spoke to the bus driver and tried to explain that I didn't know where I was, and I at least needed help figuring out what I should do to get downtown from where we stopped. The bus driver had zero sympathy. He just told me to get off because the shift was over. Dejected, I got off the bus and was now standing on a dark street corner. I started to sweat and frantically started Googling to figure out where to go from here when somebody approached me. A tall, large man in a navy blue uniform came up and asked me if I was lost. He pointed to the white stitching on his shirt that said security, and he explained that he was a security guard at a local elementary school. In hindsight, I knew I should have just said no and found my own way, but I panicked and thought that help from a security guard was better than nothing since there were no police around. I admitted to him that I was trying to get downtown, and I didn't know how to get there. Honestly, at this point, I just wanted to go back to my dorm. He offered to show me the right bus stop that would take me back to my campus and started to walk down the block, beckoning me to follow. I was very cautious, but I followed him at a distance, ready to run at any moment. We crossed the street and walked a bit to another bus stop where a few people were waiting. He told me which bus I needed to take to get back. I thanked him profusely and figured he would leave me to wait at the bus stop on my own, but he didn't. Instead, he sat down on the bench at the stop and told me that he would wait with me. I told him I appreciated that, but it wasn't necessary. He insisted, saying that it would be a little while before the next bus arrived. I relented, but decided to stay standing a few feet away from him. He asked if I wanted to sit with him, but I politely declined. He frowned as he looked at me. You should really come and sit with me, he insisted. I didn't move. Suddenly, he bent over and grabbed my hand, pulling me and forcing me to sit next to him on the bench. I was now officially scared. But this guy was far bigger than me, and I didn't know what to do. I had nothing on me to defend myself with, and I knew he could probably overpower me if I tried anything. I sat next to him, though, and I inched away so that I wasn't touching him. He leaned into me and asked me questions about myself. Do you like anime? He asked. It seemed random as hell, but I said yes. Ah, you look like the kind of girl that likes anime, he observed. Whatever the fuck that means. Then a woman walking down the street passed in front of us. She was dressed in a crop top and a short skirt. The man looked at her and scowled. He then leaned over and wrapped his arm around my shoulder, pulling me close to him and said, I really like the way you dress not like these whores out on the street. I was screaming inside my head. I wanted to run. I wanted to scream. I wanted to do anything, but I was too scared. Luckily, earlier than expected, the bus approached at the bus stop. Relief started to bloom in my stomach as I thought that my way out had arrived. I broke away from him and stood up to walk toward where I would board the bus. I thanked the security guard and said goodbye to him in an attempt to say, this interaction is done, you fucking creep. I got onto the bus and sat down, relieved. I looked out the window at the bench where he was sitting. But he wasn't sitting. He was nowhere. My stomach dropped as a familiar figure sat down on the bus and wrapped their arm around my shoulder again. Yes, it was the security guard. I figured I'd take you as far as I can go, he said. 
I wanted to cry. The longer the bus rode, the more handsy he got, pulling me closer, putting his hand on my leg and squeezing it tight. About halfway through the ride, a miracle happened. The bus slowed to a stop, and he stood up and looked down at me. This is where I get off. Can I get a hug? He asked. I stared at him flabbergasted and stammered, No. He chuckled to himself and leaned down. I thought he was going to force me to hug him, but instead, this disgusting man kissed me on my forehead. I sat there in shock. He grinned and said, I'll see you around, sweetie. With that, he got off the bus and disappeared into the busy street. I sat there frozen, repeating the interaction in my mind for the remainder of the bus ride. When I got off the bus, I ran to my dorm, locked myself in, and sobbed. At that moment, I realized I had forgotten that my phone even existed. I checked it to see tons of messages from the girl I was supposed to be meeting. She was asking if I had gotten lost on my way to the show. I texted her and told her what happened, and she freaked out. She left the show and rushed back to comfort me and make sure that I was okay. I never rode a public bus alone ever again after that. I never told my family about this happening because they were already nervous enough to let me go to a city school. I knew that if I told them everything that happened, they would want me to come home right then and there. I don't even know if that man was really a security guard. I would have reported him to the school that he worked at if I could. Being a teacher now, there's no way in hell I would want anybody like that man working around children. So, scary security guard who took advantage of a frightened girl lost in a new city? Let's not meet again. This story took place back in 2015 when I was 19 and about to study abroad. So, to pass the time and save money before leaving for school, I got a job at a donut shop. Management had scheduled me to work the closing shift alone, which my parents were not a fan of. But I was paying for my schooling abroad, and have always been cautious, so they didn't fight it. I spent my nights sitting at the counter, reading The Hobbit, because let's be honest, not many people are craving donuts at 9 o'clock at night. I had a couple of strange encounters. Mostly it was just gross older men thinking that it was appropriate to hit on me while I was working. One comment that stuck out was, What is a pretty skinny thing like you doing working here? I still remember his gaunt face. I don't remember my stammered reply, but I do remember him laughing at my discomfort and innocence. Another time, it was pouring rain as I was sprinting to my car to go home. I had parked a little farther away than usual. A large truck was parked next to my car, and there was a note plastered on my windshield. I'm from a city that is a bit notorious for human trafficking, so I got into my car, locked the doors, and sped home. The note was some incoherent scribble about the Illuminati. I feel like I made the right choice. There was definitely somebody in that truck parked next to me. Shortly after that incident, I went abroad, and it was wonderful. When I returned home, I couldn't find another job for the summer, so I returned to that donut shop. They moved me to a new location and put me on opening shifts this time. As much as I truly enjoyed working closing shifts by myself, I was very grateful to be working in the daylight and with other people. I thought that I would finally be done fielding inappropriate and uncomfortable interactions, but I was wrong. One morning, an older man entered the donut shop with his wife. I smiled and said hello, as I ordinarily do. I'm painfully introverted, but I'm also a very friendly people pleaser, which makes me pretty good at customer service. And I swear I felt it. I felt the attachment like a tether. His wife excused herself to the restroom and he approached the counter, staring me down like I was meat. I remember thinking, not this again. 
I don't even find myself to be particularly attractive, but again, here we go. He made a few comments about me being yummier than the donuts, but I eventually got his order. As I went to return his change, he grabbed my hand, hard. I panicked and tried to pull back, but it quickly became clear that he was trying to pull me over the counter. The counter that had previously been a safe separation between me and other people. The counter that I had felt safe behind despite the harassing comments. Now, in a husky voice, he grunted something about getting just a quick kiss. I pulled away as his wife turned the corner and looked at me with so much disgust. He panicked and dropped my hand then took his change. His wife stared me down as if I were the one to blame. I felt disgusting like I needed a shower. I felt like I'd never be clean after that. I walked to the back to try and trade tasks with my coworker who was washing dishes, but my coworker just wouldn't leave. I didn't have the guts to tell her what happened. I didn't know how to articulate what he had done, so I went back to the register. I tried not to look in their direction, but I could feel both of their eyes on me. One set of eyes was coveting me, while the other seethed with rage towards me. This couple came into my shop a few more times after that. Luckily, I was able to trade tasks and work in the back after explaining to one male coworker what had happened. Sometimes we would see them coming and I was preemptively put on dishwashing duty. It's been years since this encounter, but it still gives me anxiety. Writing this out was surprisingly hard and my chest was tight the whole time. But maybe, hopefully, it will be my start to moving past it. To the man who shattered my sense of safety at work, let's not meet. This happened a few years ago. I live in a nice town, not too far from major shopping centers. I grew up loving true crime stories and would often stay up for every episode of Dateline. For the past few months, I've been listening to your podcast, Let's Not Meet. At first, I thought that it was kind of silly for me to stay up late scaring myself to sleep, but it wasn't until one evening that I was truly grateful that I had been listening. I normally walk every afternoon with my dad so that we can get our daily exercise. We walk around this decent-sized business park that has numerous, somewhat rural and darker areas when walking around it. We normally go earlier, around 5 in the evening, when there are more people, but this day in particular was a long day, so we decided to go around 7. The sun was already starting to set, which meant that the darkness would get us soon. We went ahead and began our walk. I started to go ahead of my dad since I wanted to get a better workout. I made sure not to get too far ahead, but I was ahead enough to where he was definitely not close behind me. As I was walking and ironically listening to a true crime podcast, I noticed a white compact truck with a black bicycle. It slowed down just a tad to pass by me. He had a car behind him, so he couldn't slow down too much, but he was driving slow enough for me to notice that he was adjusting his rearview mirror to face me as he was passing by. Then, I made eye contact with him through his mirror's reflection. It sent chills down my spine. He kept driving, and I kept walking, but I couldn't help but think how strange that it was. I thought to myself, maybe I'm just overthinking. Maybe it's all these podcasts that I've been listening to that made me feel uneasy. I laughed it off in my head and just kept walking. About 10 minutes had passed. At that point, I was being a bit more observant while not trying to get too worked up. With everything that I've learned through true crime stories, one thing that really got to me is how you should also be observant of your surroundings. With that being said, I looked to the side and I heard the sound of a bigger car coming up. It was the exact same white truck with that exact same black bicycle in the back. My heart sped up a bit as the white truck passed me by, slowing down just a tad as he did before. Seeing that there was nobody behind him this time, 
he was able to slow down even more. He could have even stopped if he wanted to. I quickly looked behind me to see how far back my dad was. Thankfully, he was still within seeing distance and was a lot closer than I expected. As soon as I went to turn back to look at the white truck, the truck went back to its normal speed and drifted away. I had never felt so uneasy in my life. The rest of the walk was brutal. I was anxious, fearing that he would come back again and disregard that there was a man, my father, walking along with me. Eventually, my dad caught up to me and I told him the situation. He said he knew that something was up and that I had a very concerned look on my face when I turned around to look at him. What could have happened if my dad weren't there? Would the guy in the truck have stopped? What were his intentions? That's all stuff I definitely don't want to ever find out. So to the creepy guy in the white truck with the bicycle in the back who may or may not have been eyeing me to abduct me, let's never meet again. This story happened to me back when I still lived at my parents' house. I was commuting to college at the time and had three siblings who also lived at home. My brother and two sisters. For some context, we lived on five acres in rural Ohio, surrounded on both sides by woods and farm fields. Additionally, during the week, my dad normally left for work at two in the morning, so I always felt like it was my job to be the man of the house. On this night, since it was the weekend, my dad was home. I woke up to the sound of my brother's voice, trying to get my attention. We had separate rooms upstairs, and coming out of our rooms, you could look down over the banister to see our front door. When I woke up, it took a few moments to get out of the haze from sleeping and realize what was going on. I looked at the clock and it was around 2.30 in the morning. My brother told me that there were two men at our front door. Of course, now this was a real wake-up call. We quietly walked out of my room and peeked over the banister to look down at the front door. When we looked, there was no one at the door. But I noticed my parents off to the side, out of view from the glass on the front door. I whispered down to my dad and he told me that there were two guys who had been talking to each other while knocking on the door. Hearing my dad say this kind of freaked me out. I went back to my room and grabbed my pistol. I quickly strode down the stairs after looking to make sure that the guys weren't at the door. If they had been, they could have easily seen me coming down the stairs as the stairs are in direct view of the door. My brother was right behind me as we headed over to where my parents were, whispering to try and find out what was going on. My dad had woken up to our dog barking and came out of his room to see two men knocking loudly at the door. At this point, we saw the men return and they began knocking again, despite the fact that no one had come to the door and our dog was still actively barking. The fact that they were there in the middle of the night in a location where houses are spread out hundreds of yards and still knocking while the dog was barking made the whole situation more terrifying. After a couple of minutes, the men walked away, so we all shuffled across the kitchen and into the family room to peek out the windows into our driveway, which was lit up by our outside light. There was a black Cadillac sitting there, but nobody was inside from what we could see. Immediately, the question was, where did the guys go? They weren't in their car, and they were no longer at the front door. Unfortunately, we figured out the answer to that when the handles on our back French doors started jiggling. They were actively trying to enter through the back of our house, which went into the kitchen. I just remember my mom frantically calling out, David, as pure terror from the situation overwhelmed her. At this point, two things happened. One, adrenaline filled my body as I prepared my handgun and I was horrified at the very real possibility that I might have to shoot these men. And two, my dad finally grabbed the phone, called the police, and calmly told them what was happening. Thankfully, after a minute of jiggling, 
they stopped and disappeared again, only to return to their knocking attempts on the front door. Several minutes had gone by, then suddenly we saw the local police fly up in multiple cruisers with their lights on. As they whipped into our driveway and front yard, the two men bolted, attempting to run the long way around the house across the driveway. One of them disappeared out of our view, but the other one was intercepted by an officer yelling for him to get on the ground. The man did not listen to the officer. He was immediately tased and fell to the ground. Some of the officers went around the house after the other guy, while one of them came to talk to my dad as we came to the front door. They ended up finding the other man hiding in my sister's little playhouse in the backyard. It appeared that both of them were drunk or high, as one of them had cocaine hidden on him. While they were both arrested that night, we never found out what they were charged with or what happened with them. Needless to say, the whole experience was not fun. So, random men at our door in the middle of the night, let's not meet. About three years ago, my friend asked me to go out for a few drinks. I told her that I could only have one because I had an orientation for volunteer work that I was starting the next day. We went to our usual spot, got carried away, and ended up drinking more than we planned. Big surprise. The place that we were at was closing at 11, so I went to pee before we left. When I came back, my friend was talking to a guy who I'll call Adam. When I joined in on the conversation, I looked down and noticed a photo on Adam's phone. It was a photo of a guy that I knew. We'll call him Sam. I said, oh, I know Sam. I met him a few years ago when I used to go out a lot. Adam replied and said that Sam was meeting him in a few minutes. When Sam got there, the four of us decided to walk to another bar together. When we got to the next bar, my friend left because she and her partner got into an argument. So, Adam, Sam, and I had a few drinks. As the night went on, Adam started to be a huge dick to Sam, saying that he was mooching off of us the whole night. Adam had enticed Sam into going out and meeting up by saying that he would pay for everything. Sam was upset, so Sam and I left and went to his house for a beer. Sam's landlord, who was also his roommate, was mad that Sam brought someone home. His landlord slash roommate texted him saying that he needed to move out. So, Sam asked me if I had anywhere that he could go. I got us a cab back to my place figuring that we would have a beer and he could sleep on the couch. While at my place, Sam drank and sang some Taylor Swift. He opened up about how he was abused by his former partner and how all of his cats had passed away after he moved out and left them with that partner. He cried for hours. At one point he said, Kiss me. But I said, I can't, dude. We're both gay. He laughed and went back to crying again. I sat and listened while trying to be as supportive as possible. I fell for the guy. He seemed like he needed a friend. Then out of nowhere, something switched. Sam looked at me dead-eyed and softly said, I'm going to kill you. I smiled and asked, what do you mean? He quickly and hastily replied, I mean, I'm going to kill you. You have to go. I said, no, it's okay, you're okay. As I got up and turned on Animal Planet in hopes that it would calm and distract him. I didn't sit next to him again on instinct. I even kneeled in front of him, I guess to come off as less threatening. He calmly said, what are you doing? I just told you I'm going to kill you. You need to run. I responded, you're okay. Do you want a snack? I got him a glass of water. He started drinking the water, then seemed okay. I know I probably should have asked him to leave, but... He seemed deeply troubled, and I wanted to get him out of whatever weird headspace he was in. After a few minutes, 
He started saying that a character from a popular Netflix show was going to kill me. And he said that my cat was going to die in a few hours. I figured maybe he was having some sort of schizophrenic break. I didn't think that he had been doing any drugs. He didn't have any money, and I was with him the entire time. I felt abnormally calm throughout the experience, aside from a tinge of anxiety that I felt when I went to the bathroom and left him alone to pet my cat. At around 8 in the morning, I called a cab to drive us over to my car so I could drive him home. Before he left, he raided my fridge of beer, apologizing as he shoved them into the top of his pants. Then, he had the audacity to be angry with me when I wouldn't drive him back to my place to get the cigarettes that I had told him he could have after he forgot to take them with him. I dropped him off and I didn't see him again until a few weeks ago when he sold me a pair of Levi's. I pretended that I didn't recognize him until he said, You're Alyssa, right? And I said, Oh, yes. I remember we hung out downtown that night. I just left the store and that was that. So to the guy who said he was going to kill me and then helped himself to all of my beer, let's not meet again. On July 5th of last year, I decided to take my kids, then aged 3 and 4, to a nearby state park. This park has several hiking trails, as well as a splash pad, which is a play area with sprinklers, just a short walk through the woods. As it was predicted to be a hot day, and the parking lot for this park was rather small, I decided to get there early in the morning. When I arrived, there were two other cars in the parking lot, but after walking a short distance through the woods to the splash pad, we found that it was empty. I was surprised as it tends to be crowded on hot days, but I figured that maybe not as many people were around due to it being a holiday weekend and still early in the morning. My kids played for a while as I sat nearby in one of the three fold-up camp chairs that I brought. Being pregnant, I was glad to have a relaxing morning and be able to sit while my kids had fun splashing around in the sprinklers. Everything changed quickly when a man walked out of the woods. Since the park had hiking trails, it wasn't abnormal to see people going for walks. In fact, not long before this, I saw a woman walking on a nearby trail with her dog but it immediately struck me as odd that this man seemed to have come out from behind a tree and not from one of the paths. My daughter, who talks to everyone, said hi to the man. He gave a brief wave and then proceeded to sit at the picnic table nearest to me and pull out a book. Again, I did find this odd. There were several picnic tables spread out along the trail leading to the splash pad, and as there was nobody else there, he could have easily found a more quiet place to sit and read away from two noisy kids. The man then took out a pen and proceeded to stare at us while writing in his book, almost like he was taking notes. Every time I looked in his direction, he was watching us closely. It was very unsettling. I wanted to leave, but I was afraid that if I made a move to get up, that he would also get up and could possibly follow us. So instead, I pretended to take pictures of my kids while actually snapping a few pictures of him. I sent the pictures to my husband, along with our location. My husband asked me if I wanted him to come and get us. I said no, afraid that maybe I was being paranoid. But I got a bad feeling from this guy. I figured I would wait until the woman walking her dog returned and I would just leave right after her so that I wouldn't be alone. Meanwhile, it seemed like every time I looked up, this man was either watching my kids or staring directly at me. Finally, after what felt like forever, but was really only about 15 minutes or so, I saw the woman with the dog and quickly gathered our stuff. As I was pregnant and had three fold-up chairs, 
as well as two small kids to get, we ended up being quite a ways behind her. As I stood up, the man immediately stood. He then snapped his book shut and walked right up to me, far too close for comfort. Empty today, isn't it? He asked. Yup, I replied loudly while turning away. I had my phone in my hand, and I told the kids that we were going to have to race back to the car, and I immediately called my husband. When the man saw me with the phone, he walked over the other way, back towards the woods, and I ran to the parking lot with the kids. My heart was racing as I quickly loaded the kids into the car. Since there were only three other cars in the parking lot, I decided to take pictures of all three license plates before I left. When I got home, I filed a police report and submitted the photos that I had taken of the man and the license plates from the cars in the parking lot. An officer followed up the next day. He informed me that another woman had made a very similar report that same day. It seems this man came out from the woods and was watching her children play as well. The officer told me that from the photos they were able to identify the man and said he had already been banned from another nearby park for suspicious and inappropriate behavior. Nothing else ever came of this. I don't know what that man's intentions were, but he really freaked me out. I haven't ventured back to that park again, and I'm now much more careful about where I bring my kids when I'm alone. So, to the creepy man watching my kids in the woods by the splash pad, let's never meet again. This happened in 2006. I'm a female and I was 15 years old, living in Perth, Western Australia. The internet had really taken off, and being in high school, it was all the rage to spend any hours not consumed by school or family on chat sites, MySpace, and anything else that was popular back then. The friends I hung around were labeled as nerds, and we all met up and spent our recess and lunch times in an area called Nerdville by all the other school kids in our class. This didn't bother me, though. I had started in the popular crowd, but grew very tired of the lack of conversation and personalities that they had. A couple of my friends and I would frequent a website called elfpack.com. We loved to read the stories that people would make up. We liked the idea of being able to talk to like-minded people. My best friend at the time, who we'll call Donna, had made friends and chatted with a guy who we'll call Shane for quite some time. He seemed like someone that I would get along with as well, and with that, we both started talking to him. Shane was older. From memory, he said he was about 27. Keep in mind, Donna and I were 15 far too young to be speaking to a 27-year-old. But at 15, when you're young and impressionable, you feel like you're far more mature than anyone else your own age. That being said, we didn't consider the age difference to be a problem. Donna and I knew about Elfpack having a more R-rated website, but no interest in signing up for it. That is, until we met Shane. He showed interest in us, that I hadn't received from any other guys at school. I wasn't a sweet, innocent 15-year-old. I had already had boyfriends, most of which had other girlfriends as well as me, or were just too immature for my liking. I was ready for a more mature relationship, whatever that looked like at age 15. Thinking back now, I had some issues with feeling loved. I don't think I've ever worked through that enough even now to this day, but looking back on what happened next, I can say with certainty, that was a huge factor in how everything happened. Something I'd say Shane could tell I was going through. Donna and I would talk about Shane from time to time. As time went on, we seemed to drift further apart and grew jealous of one another's time spent talking with Shane. We both liked him, so, like any 15-year-old girl would do, we stopped talking with one another and started to compete for Shane's attention. 
Eventually, Shane was the person I spoke to the most in a 24-hour period. I drifted further and further away from my schoolwork, my parents, and my friends, all so that I could carry out a cyber relationship with Shane. This wasn't just online at this point either. Shane had my number, so we would text and call one another whenever we could. Now, don't judge. I do enough of that these days, looking back on this as it is. My relationship with Shane had progressed as you would have expected. I was surrounded by conversations of sex and first times, so the conversations between Shane and I had become steamy. He spoke in such a way to me that it made me feel owned by him like I was his property. I'm cringing as I'm writing this, but at the time, I loved it. I would do anything and everything Shane wanted me to do. He started to request for me and my friend to have conversations with him. These conversations got steamy as well, and before long, Shane wanted my friend and me to sign up for the R-rated site so that he could show us off. I was apprehensive since I didn't want to share Shane. I was playing a fairy tale in my head at the time. I thought I had met somebody mysterious and loving and got together with them. I was ready for us to fall madly in love, get married, and live happily ever after together. One downside of my living in Western Australia was that Shane was on the other side of Australia, in rural New South Wales. I'm sure I would have voiced my feelings of not wanting to share him with my friend, but as memory serves, that's when he started to talk to me about marriage and how he was saving money to move me over to live with him in his caravan on his mom's property. I was open and honest about how I wanted my fairy tale to be to him. I now know that Shane was a predator, and I know this prompted him to say anything and everything to get what he wanted. Since I was promised the world, I opened up even more. I was quite happy doing whatever Shane wanted me to do to keep him happy. I remember he had referred to me as his girlfriend and my friend as his love slave, all of which makes me shudder now. He would have me take certain photos to be published on this R-rated site, and then he asked me for raunchier photos to be privately sent to him. He started to pay for the credit on my phone so that I was always reachable and able to send photos whenever he wanted. I had some family in New South Wales, though several hours away from where Shane lived. I was visiting them one year when everything fell apart. I remember staying with my grandparents at the time, and as always, I was attached to my phone, sending photos back and forth, excusing myself from family events to spend time virtually with Shane. The plan was that when I was in New South Wales visiting, I would run away to be with him. By this time, my parents had intervened several times. They banned me from the internet at home, but I would just get on at school instead. My parents also stopped paying for my credit on my phone, so I couldn't contact him. But Shane quickly fixed that. My parents knew I had never met this guy, but they thought that he was my age, and everything was innocent. I had them worried about the amount of time that I was spending on my phone or on the computer interacting with Shane rather than being outside or hanging out with friends in real life. I never got to run away to be with Shane. My grandparents must have noticed, or maybe I let a cousin know about what I was up to, but I can't remember. However, my parents paid closer attention to what I was doing. They asked for my phone and passwords. What they found had them seeing red. I've never seen my parents so angry and worried at the same time. I was completely banned from everything. The school was involved, so I wouldn't have any way around that ban when at school and my phone was taken away. My parents had read and seen only some of what had been going on with Shane. He asked me to delete everything from time to time. I'm sure he gave me a good reason for doing this, but I can't remember. Later on in life, my dad discussed this further with me and said, his heart dropped when he saw an image of Shane. He said there was no way he was a 27-year-old guy. My dad said that Shane had to be about the same age as him. My dad called the police. 
but there was nothing that they could do. Even with some of the evidence from the conversation, it just wasn't enough. I often think about how lucky I was to have not gone any further with Shane. I don't know the full story of what happened between Shane and Donna. She and I lost contact after everything, but I know she was still speaking with him after everything went down with me. I think my parents spoke with her parents, but they didn't seem as interested in looking into things as my parents were. I still think about everything to this day. I worry that someone else like me could have connected with Shane. Maybe they weren't as lucky. Though, I hope this isn't the case. To Shane, I'm glad that we never actually met, and I'll be happy to never ever meet you. We'll continue our theme of online creeps in our special Patreon extension of this week's episode. So stick around after the music for that if you would like to join our Patreon and get access to that as well as hours and hours of bonus content. Head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. I do have to apologize for missing the Wednesday one shot this week. That new series that I'm doing at a really bad cold. You might be able to still hear it in my voice in the ads and the outro this week. It was pretty bad and I just did not have the energy to get around to recording that. In fact, our Patreon extension was supposed to be quite a bit longer, but I just didn't have the voice to get through it or the energy. But I'm on the upswing now and we'll get back on track this coming Wednesday. This week you have heard The Bike Thief Who Shot At Me by EMTRB1799, Scary Security Guard by Angelina, Donut Shop Creepers by Sarah, Creepy White Truck Guy by Anias, Late Night Visitors by HDDY in a Rider 18, He Told Me He Was Going to Kill Me by Alyssa, Splash Pad Creep by Amanda, and finally Elf Pack Predator by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, Welcome to Paradise, It Sucks, Odd Trails, my true paranormal podcast, and the old-time radio cast over at crypticcountypodcasts.com. Or just search wherever you get your podcasts. See you all Wednesday. Stay safe.